All right, what's up? Welcome to Copywriting Course. Today in the studio, we have Catherine Lavery. Hi. Thanks for being here. So a little bit about you. You are the founder of Best Self Co. You've created and sold over $25 million worth of products. Awesome. You were originally an architect, which I personally think is awesome. And then in 2016, you launched Self Journal on Kickstarter. It funded in 28 hours, raising over $320,000. In three years, you turned that company into an eight-figure business. I always have trouble when people say eight figures. That means like 10 million and above. And then you won multiple awards from Shopify and last year ranked number 318 on the Inc. 500 list. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. Yeah. So I've got a bunch of stuff to ask you about e-commerce uh, and writings and promotion of all those products. So um, Amazon and Shopify, do you use both of those pretty heavily? Yeah, we, we use both of them very differently. So... Amazon, you don't own the customer. You don't really even own the listing. Shopify, you can control everything. You can talk to the customer. So for us, we started, you know, very strong Shopify in the first year. It was like 90-10. Now we're about 70-30, but still. Wait, so 70 Amazon? No, 70 Shopify. Whoa. Oh. And 30 on Amazon. So our Amazon, we've actually started to put more focus onto it in the last like 18 months. But mm -hmm. before that, it was like, we put it up there, but we didn't really focus on it as like a main channel, which was wow. because we wanted to focus on Shopify and, and make the business like stronger on our own platform. But I mean, people are going on Amazon. You may as well put a little more effort into it. But then they take like a hefty cut of stuff, right? Oh, yeah. They take like 30 percent. 30? Yeah. Between oh. like fulfilled by Amazon and their fees and all the stuff. Yeah. They take a pretty hefty percentage. So is that worth it? Uh, yeah, because they get a ton of traffic. <laughs> so and, and they also handle the customer. So while you don't own the customer, they also deal with um, returns. And, and we don't have a very high return rate, thankfully. Sometimes, you know, I return stuff to Amazon mm -hmm. and they make it so easy that it's super annoying as a seller on Amazon because nothing's mm -hmm. wrong with the product. Uh -huh. But they make it so easy that even though we have a very low return percentage, generally like less than 1%, it's more, more on Amazon just because they make it so damn easy. So I personally got my start in e-commerce too. I started a company called House of Rave years ago uh, when I was in high school and college. And um, let me ask you this. Uh, does selling physical products suck? It's so funny. Everyone that sells digital products is like, oh, I wish I could sell something physical. And then I'm looking at, you know, importing and shipping and I'm like, oh, digital is so much <laughs> easier. So while it is nice to like be able to touch and feel your physical product and actually hold it, you know, there's pluses and minuses to everything. I think for us as a as a company, it was good starting with physical products because there is sort of a higher barrier to entry than it than there is a digital product. Mm -hmm. So you have to do a lot of work to get it to you. And then it's like, OK, well, we created this physical product. Now I, we can go digital and you kind of have a little more um, people have a little more confidence that you can deliver if you you have a physical product in their house. Do I mean, one thing I always kind of, so I was fortunately a drop shipper. So I was a middleman. So I never actually had to buy the product first and hold it in a warehouse mm -hmm. and then get an order and then finally get money after a while. Um, it, I feel like with e-commerce stuff, like one big problem I see is like, let's say I order a thousand doodads. Mm -hmm. You have to spend a ton of money before you get that money. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. I mean, at least at the start, if you don't have any terms with your manufacturer, now we have really good terms with our manufacturers. So we don't actually pay them right now until 60 days later. Hmm. And then I just negotiated 2021, it's 120 days. Whoa. So 
it's like four months where we can essentially sell the inventory and use the money that we make from it to pay our manufacturer. Now you can't get that right out of the gate, but that's a good way. Like once you have some history with a manufacturer and, and they want to work with you, you can sort of negotiate that. And Neville, I was a dropshipper also. Yeah. I had an eBay store when I was 14. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I would, uh, my biggest thing that I would sell back back in the day was Dawson's Creek DVDs. Oh, wow. Because they didn't have them in <laughs> Ireland. And so Sorry I would for laughing so hard. <laughs> import them from Canada and I would sell them on eBay. Well, at 14? Yeah. That's pretty impressive. How many Dawson's Creek CDs did you sell? A ton. A lot? Yeah, I, I made enough that I was able to buy my first laptop because we had to use a family computer uh-huh. and we had like an hour to use it. I'm like, mom, how am I supposed to run my business in an hour a day? Uh, because she wouldn't give me extra time, even mm-hmm. though I'm trying to do this eBay thing. So then I made enough money to buy my own laptop and then I could do it as much as I wanted. Wow, not 14. That's awesome. I, I fortunately got my uh, start early. I think honestly in Boy Scouts was like the first time I would sell stuff. Mm-hmm. You were forced to go like door to door, like yeah. child labor. No, not really, but like <laughs> go door to door and sell like tickets to stuff. Yeah. Now remember, it's interesting. That's like as a kid, you realize like you have this product. And someone will give you money for it. And like you keep the difference between the cost and mm-hmm. what they pay. You're like, oh, that's how business works. At its kernel, that's kind of it. It's really cool. Um, when it comes to promoting a physical product, is it any different than a digital product? I don't think so. I think physical is a little easier because they are getting something like physical. And, and the idea of being able to hold something is much more um, real to people, mm-hmm. especially if they've never bought a digital product. So in mm-hmm. some cases, it's easier. In other times, it's harder if it's like shipping and like, when is it going to get to me? And and like the actual getting the inventory and, and selling it. But as far as the messaging goes, I think if a digital product, you have to, you know, really make it very clear what it is they're getting. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's a little confusion there um, if you're not clear, but I don't think it's much different. Yeah, I mean, we did a we did an experiment with you a, a while ago where you're one of the few people that would allow us to like show the process, like how it's done. We made an email, and most of it was just showing the product. Yeah, like you don't really need to describe it when they could just see it, like built like the journal filled yeah. out or something like that. Um, kind of newbie question, but um, do you have like a warehouse full of stuff somewhere? Like you sell a lot of product, like does it like sit somewhere? Yeah, we have three warehouses full of stuff. Whoa. We have one in California, we have one in Florida, and we have one in the UK. We also had one in Australia, but we recently got rid of that. Wow. I mean, isn't that expensive to maintain? It is expensive, but it's also depends on your goal. So for us, in our initial Kickstarter campaign, we had a lot of Europeans. Also, because I'm from Europe, I, I also have people that buy because of that. Mm-hmm. And so if you were selling from the US and shipping from the US is just really expensive. And Mm so it's like, is someone going to pay 20 bucks to ship something? Like we all hate paying for shipping and international shipping is so expensive. So when we first launched the Kickstarter, uh, we had enough European people that we went straight to international warehouses right away. Was that the smartest idea? Probably not, especially because we we were so divided, right? Mm -hmm. So we had a UK warehouse, we had an Australia warehouse, we had one in the US and we recently got rid of our Australia because it was just like not the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. We were going to ship from the UK instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and you ended up paying like taxes over there. And it's just like for a small team, it's just a lot of hassle. But the European one still made sense, made sense to keep. 
Huh. Oh, wait. Okay. I kind of see why you would like outsource everything to Amazon in this case. Yeah. It like stresses me out to think that you have well, that now many customers. And Mexico, Amazon Canada. We have Amazon Mexico. We have Amazon regular American. And I, I feel like we're on multiple warehouses in Amazon because now we're global with them, mm-hmm. which we just did in the last six months. And yeah, it, it does make it much easier. So like, this is also a newbie question. I got out of e-commerce in 2011. So I'm like way behind the times on that. But is there like Amazon, does they literally keep like a big pallet of like best self journals, like in some warehouse in Mexico and they're yeah. shipping them out. And if someone sends a return, it comes back to them and they somehow handle that. They just do yeah. all of that. Mm-hmm. That's actually pretty cool. That's kind of like publishing a book on Amazon where yeah. it's just like, they just do everything and you don't even, you have no idea what's going on. It just happens. And they also get the best rates on shipping. And so, you know, you can't really beat them as far as logistics. They just take a, a hefty fee, but they get enough customers that it makes total sense. So let me ask you this. Um, I buy stuff on Amazon a lot and I almost exclusively go based off the reviews. Mm-hmm. Assuming if it's like four and a half stars or above, I'm kind of like, okay, cool, no brainer. And it's got yeah. like 20 plus reviews. Yeah. How important are Amazon reviews for selling stuff? Like like the best Oh, like journal? the most important? I remember at one, <laughs> at one point... That like half star is like so important, you know, the four and a half or four. And so we had this issue with some stock at one point and we lost our half star. Uh And I'm trying to tell the team, I'm like, guys, this is like some serious shit. (laughs) We have the got to get. And it was like the quarter star. I'm like, this is super important because for me, I don't buy anything under like four stars is like my limit. Yeah, I'm like, what's wrong with it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I was like, we need to get this half star back. This is crucial. Um, and I and that for conversion, because I know how I shop. And I'm like, I don't know what the data is saying, but I know how important this half star is. Yeah. Like if something's three star, you're like, no. It is funny when someone's yeah. like, oh, I, I really love this product. I kind of imagine it being better. Um, wish it got here sooner. Two stars. And you're like, that, was, that wasn't the problem with the product, though. Yeah. And so... Sometimes it's like a little infuriating, but for the most part, it's good. Wow. Okay. I, I mean, I, I just can't believe how like important that has become in recent years. Like that could kind of like make or break your product, especially if there's a lot of competitors and stuff. Yeah. And I think um, for a while they've, they've caught down on this, thankfully, but for a long time on Amazon, the whole system was gamed. Mm-hmm. It was like buying reviews and like a lot of black hat stuff. Mm-hmm. And they ended up, you know drilling down on that majorly. Like two years ago, there was yeah. like this big crackdown, right? And so all these people were selling courses on Amazon, which is basically like launch something and get 20 reviews by paying this group uh, or giving away free product in order to get reviews. And so they just cracked on in that and like these huge products that had, you know, thousands and thousands of reviews were just like knocked off. Also, fakespot.com is what I use. Oh, wow. All the time. You type in like a product in FakeSpot and it'll give you like a rough grade. It's not it's like super accurate sometimes, but it'll tell you like if all the reviews came on one day oh. or if they all came from like one specific country that normally mm. people don't buy from. It has all these like ways of measuring if like the reviews are fake. So any sort of like, especially like supplements, healthcare, beauty products, oh, there yeah. is just so much like manipulation of those reviews because it's so profitable to do it that I always use FakeSpot to be like, hmm, what's going on here? You can also uh, check like make sure it's a verified review like they actually bought it on amazon because mm. when you search when you browse it it will show reviews and then when you like filter by verified a lot of times it'll just drop the the numbers just it's like a tenth of what the reviews are that it actually like bought the product 
I feel like Amazon is almost like, it kind of reminds you how like Google at first, when SEO first came out, you're just like, oh, just make good content, put it out. Maybe it'll, it'll, it'll get ranked. But then as, it, as the organic search results become so valuable, mm -hmm. like there's this whole industry of people that are just playing the game for Google because they know like if they play the game, the rewards are pretty great. Yeah. I, I assume similarly with Amazon too. Um, speaking of like uh, the reviews and stuff, uh, there's been like an explosion of journals on the market because I heard about you uh, a while back when you did the whole uh, best self journal stuff, uh, best uh, best self co, and um, there's a bunch of journals that look suspiciously a lot like exactly what you did, like right. like the 13 week thing. Like I, I always thought like 13 is such a weird number for a number of weeks. Like 12 well, seems more round. Yeah. Like where did it, why 13 and then. What the hell's with all these uh, copycats? <laughs> well, I came up with the term 13 weeks because there's the 12-week year. I know that's a famous book. And then if you divide literally the number of weeks in a year, it's like 13 is a quarter. And so oh. now it's hilarious whenever you – when I see these journals being advertised to me all the time. It's like 13 weeks. And I'm like – it's. I find it funny now. But, but at the start, I was like – it kind of pissed me off for a while. And mm -hmm. now I, I kind of – got over it because there's so many everyone and their mother has a journal but i think you know we started back in 2015 and we were the first three month based structure where it was a framework around getting a goal and breaking it down and exactly what you needed to get there and i think a lot of people were like oh it's smart 13 weeks you have to buy four times a year and while business-wise that made sense like that wasn't the that wasn't why it was created like that it was mm -hmm. based on specifically a framework and so a lot of these journals that are coming out or just like, oh, it's 13 weeks without like an actual framework. Because they're like, oh, they'll have to buy four times a year and blah, blah, blah. But they don't actually know where it came from. And so it's it's like, okay. That's a, I mean, that's one thing I kind of didn't like about e-commerce was like the, the fierce competition. And I, I used to run a blog called nevblog.com since mm -hmm. 2003 or four or something like that. And I would openly publish what I did with House of Rave. That was yeah. my most successful business that I ran. And um and I was, I, it would piss me off because most people would be like, man, that's so inspiring. I'm going to start one selling yarn or something like that. I'm like, awesome, man. Yeah. And there's always some person that would exactly copy House of Rave and it'd be like, like homeofrave.com. Oh, yeah. And then they would like, my supplier would be like, hey, this person contacted me saying like the exact same email that you sent, which I like published on the yeah. web. And it was just, it was a little infuriating because I almost felt like I couldn't talk about it in public yeah. anymore. Like I had to stop talking about it so much. Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel like that? that like people just oh. like copy the hell out of some of these products? Literally, uh, this person launched this uh, Kickstarter campaign for a journal. Mm -hmm. And um, someone forwarded to me the, his launch, temp his launch emails, which I'm not kidding, were copy and pasted from ours. Mm -hmm. Because I shared it. I was like, this is how we launched. And so I have so many people that are like, oh, I want to launch a journal company. Um, who's your supplier? You yeah. Know, they ask all your... the questions right to you. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I, I don't give that to anyone. And we've had our, our like manufacturer we've worked with since, you know, for over five years now. And that they'll get people reaching out wanting to print our, our journal. Mm -hmm. Because for a while we would give away the PDF for free because our whole thing was like being abundant and some people not being able to afford the journals at the start. So they would print it and they would use it and they would hit their goal and then they would come and buy a journal. And so it made sense. But then you have these like scumbags who would take that, you know, PDF and they would try to, sometimes it would end up at our manufacturer and, and uh, they'd be like, no. And they would also tell us who they were. Mm -hmm. And we would email them saying like, 
oh, we heard you're looking for a wholesale order. Would you like to? <laughs> <laughs> Which they were just trying to rip us off. But um, it's helpful to have a manufacturer you can trust. But also, you know, if we were still only doing journals, I would be much more concerned. But now we've evolved. So, yeah, they're doing journals now. But, you know, we're four years past that and are evolving with new products. So, you know, if we had a stuck there, I would have been more concerned and probably still pissed off. But now I'm like, whatever. I had, uh, I want to get, that's like my next question, but I had a funny story. Uh, I used to sell these things called light up, uh, <laughs> light up golf balls, right? And I ordered some samples of them and they're really cool. Like you push them and they're basically indestructible because they're meant for like golfing and stuff. Yeah. And so um, there's a lot of people selling light up golf balls. And like, obviously you could find a lot of them on different sites than House of Rave at the time. Yeah. So I called them uh rave balls mm. <laughs> no one had coined the word rave balls ever so whenever went, people went to search for rave balls i was the only result on oh, youtube nice. uh, organic but it's kind of like it was kind of like a hack and mm -hmm. i was like it's countdown to like people discover that they're called light up golf balls yeah yeah so I, I always found that a little bit infuriating about um physical products like the copycats are worse and the problem is like you would spend money to create that product mm -hmm. so with uh, whereas a digital product you could kind of like you know, change almost right away. So speaking of that, diverse income streams. So one of the main reasons I like uh, 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 Best Self Co is like you've managed to like actually diversify from one physical product to like, what do you all have like 13 or 20 or something physical products? Yeah, we have a bunch. A, a, a bunch. <laughs> yeah, you have a bunch and you also have uh, uh, digital products that you sell. So you, courses, challenges, all that kind of stuff. Um, do they all, is there some sort of like rhyme or reason on how you make those? Like, do they feed into each other? Like, do you know if someone buys like one of your digital products, they end up buying more physical product or something? Yeah. So we've started doing these things called feeder funnels, um, hmm. which it's like bringing someone in and like helping them solve some problems. So there might be like a relationship one and then they might buy our, one of our relationship products mm -hmm. or a productivity will like teach them certain things and then it like well, i think james my head of marketing came up with the term feeder funnel i don't yeah, even know a if good it's name. a term yeah. but that's what he calls them and so he started creating these feeder funnels that essentially are pulling people in with certain problems that would be driven to certain products huh that's actually that's really interesting um has have with uh we're not allowed to say the word of what's going on in the world right now but this kind of like slowdown in the physical economy um has the physical products uh, sorry the digital products increased in demand during this time yeah i mean we really have only started putting a lot of effort into physical or sorry digital products over the last year so i think that would have happened anyway mm -hmm. but our supply chain in march was just like dead mm -hmm. because um some of our top products uh, were made in China and our manufacturer, you know, they were off for Chinese New Year. And so all of the stuff that we had in production was essentially paused. And then when it finally does get on a boat, it's not coming through. And, you know, they're prioritizing medical equipment, which makes total sense. But we were essentially like, we don't have any, um, we don't have our top selling products. And you can only be on pre-order for so long before someone's like, I need my product. Uh, I need to be my best self. And so we actually started creating content around, okay, working from home and uh, managing a remote team. And so it was like, okay, what do people need right now that we could help with? And we've been a remote team like the whole time we've been doing this. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, how do we create content that people will need now just for free so that when our products come into stock, they'll be like, okay, um, you know, we learned all the stuff from Best Self and now we'll buy their stuff. Huh. That's pretty awesome. And I really like that word feeder funnel. So 
props to James who came up with that. Um, what about community? Uh, do y'all utilize community for anything? I know you're starting like these challenges and stuff like that, which is like, I think an awesome idea. I think people love challenges and they help a lot of people. Um, how do y'all, do y'all utilize those? A yeah, lot? we have a Facebook community, mm -hmm. which we've had since we launched the Kickstarter. We essentially la launched a Facebook group, not really knowing what it was going to be doing, but we it was just like, oh, let's just launch this. Honestly, we hadn't put a strategy into it. And so we had to, like, I had to be in there and like create engagement a lot of the start. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we created was this graduate challenge, which is essentially how do we create a challenge that gives people something if they use our products. So it's kind of like a consumption challenge, mm -hmm. but also our goal was, you know, creating a habit from using the journal, sharing it with other people, because a lot of times people will get this product and be like, oh, it's so neat and new and I don't know what to put in it. Mm -hmm. And so being able to see socially other people who had goals and are doing this, this and this. And so it started as this like, oh, let's give someone a challenge. And if you do it for 30 days and you post either on the private uh, group or on your social and tag and certain things, we give you a $10 Amazon gift card. Mm. And we did that because it's like essentially like a, what do you call it? What do you call that? Like a promotional re giveaway rebate system. Okay. okay. So it's like, you bought this product. Do you want to use it? If you use it, we will reward you. So it's like mm. not asking a ton, but what happened was we got a ton of engagement, ton of organic traffic, ton or ton of organic images. And so we'd spent thousands of dollars on these like really nice, you know, photographs of, you know, paying a photographer and doing, you know, these like sketch notes and making all this awesome stuff. And in ads, the organic content that the users put up is way, way better. better conversion. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was essentially this like user generated content machine that also rewarded people for using the product that they bought. And then they would also need an another one. So it was like this double um, double sided thing, which is great for them and great for us. Huh. You know, I, I, I was going back to like the benefits of a physical product is people take awesome photos with it. So like the two little books I have, like people take photos with them all the time of them, like sitting out on the lake, reading it and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that's awesome. So do people take, so with your like decks and stuff like that, do people take pictures of parties of people using the deck and everything? Yeah. And those people, end up becoming your promotional images. Yeah. We get tons of people talk. And the thing about physical products, it's also because people can see it. Mm-hmm it's like part of your identity. And so mm. it's like, oh, this is my self journal because I'm a motivated high achiever and I'm working on my goals and I plan my day. I This is my intimacy deck because I, I focus on my relationship and I'm the type of person that is intentional with my time and that I want this relationship to last. And so your product, when it's physical, can also be part of someone's identity. And like, what is your product saying about them? Or what do you want your product to say about them? And how... Like, that's why people take pictures of the new shoes that they got or, or mm -hmm. this thing. It's like, oh, this is me and I want everyone to know it. Huh. Interesting. So uh, speaking of like kind of creating buzz for stuff, one thing I was very much fascinated with how you launch your products is the crowdfunding element of it. I guess Best Self Co. got its start on Kickstarter. But now that you have like a big email list and all these customers and all this notoriety from uh, like, like Damon John and stuff promotes your stuff, you still launch on Kickstarter what like can you tell me about like that that whole process like why do y'all do that so i before best self i launched uh i think best self the the first self journal was my fourth kickstarter um but my first with best self and so i i know that 
you know, before you put a new product into the market is really helpful to get validation. Uh-huh. And did you know Peloton started on Kickstarter? I did not. It did. Really? It raised 300000 Yeah. Whoa. In 2013. So hmm. it, it's a great way to collect pre-orders for something that doesn't yet exist. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the Self-Journal, we um, our pricing and our reward levels was based on our minimum order quantity, which is like... Tw- 2000 or something like that and so all of our pricing is based on that but at our kickstarter we ended up pre-selling 10,000 units and so you know all of our pricing is based on that but we have way better better margins and so we ended up producing 30,000 units and those 20,000 were what we were able to use to launch our store and so i always teach people with kickstarter it's like how do you um kickstart a product but then create an eco cycle so you don't have to keep going back to Kickstarter for the same product. Mm-hmm. The second time we went back to Kickstarter was for this um, adjustable hourglass, which uh-huh. was completely yeah, yeah. outside of our wheelhouse and a completely new product. So the thought of, okay, let's just create 2,000 of these and try to sell them was like a ton of risk. And I haven't really talked about this publicly, but that Kickstarter while it was successfully funded, it was not a success for the company. It was a complete mess. Uh-huh. We funded it. And in the back of my mind, I, I knew going in, I'm like, this could go wrong because the prototype that we had, there were some issues with it that weren't quite right. Mm-hmm. And so when you go into mass production um, or try to go into mass production, you have to get that part right. And we like struggled and struggled and, I wish we'd never done it in Kickstarter, but had we not, we would have lost, we lost money both ways. So I, I'm <laughs> glad that we did it on Kickstarter so that we um, weren't, you know, didn't print it or print. We didn't create a, a ton of product that was now sitting in a warehouse somewhere. But I always say like, go to Kickstarter or another crowdfunding site for validation that you're actually solving a problem and that people will pay for it. And then don't keep going back for Kickstarter for the same thing. So I know like there's some journals that are yearly and every single year it's like the new Kickstarter, uh-huh. which I'm kind of like, you could just launch your store and do it. But I'm, I know it makes sense because there's so many organic people that just shop on Kickstarter. But if you are coming out with a completely different product and you're not really sure where it's going to go, I would go back to Kickstarter because you have an email list, but it's not as much risk as the company just, you know, producing it and then trying to sell it later. Huh. I, I don't know. Like while researching some of your products, I was looking, I was like, damn, I didn't realize you did so many Kickstarters for all of these. That's a great way to validate. Yeah. That's really awesome. Does it, um, so I, I personally kind of will, I'm, I'm a, I'm a dropper of content. I'll record something and then just be like, Oh, here it is. And, um, I'll notice some people kind of making a buzz about mm-hmm. stuff. They'll be like, this video is coming out on this day. And like, in my mind, I'm like, I don't care. But then like they keep talking about it. And by the end I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch that video. Yeah. Right. Um, does, does Kickstarter generate quite a buzz like that normally, like just, or just by the nature of it? It does if you generate your own buzz first. So Kickstarter will reward people that mm-hmm. bring people to the platform. They're not going to just, um, if you are if you don't send any traffic, they're not going to be like, oh, we're going to just show you on all these pages because we want to help you out. And so they will reward people that bring their own traffic mm-hmm. and um, back a campaign because their whole goal is like, how many people can we get to pledge on here? Because once people pledge once on Kickstarter, they're likely to come back again. 
And so once you get people in the door, they will start showing your project to more people. So say, say I'm launching Peloton, which is $1,000 bike, mm-hmm. and I'm not launching it someone else's, but I love Peloton. Mm-hmm. And then I'm launching a journal, right? So $1,000 bike, they get 10 backers, $10,000. And I'm selling a journal, it's 32 bucks, and I get, you know... 500 people i get less revenue than the peloton but kickstarter likes me more because i've got more eyeballs on my project and so the number of backers counts more than the amount pledged and so even if people say you're like sending it to your email list right and someone wants to support you but they don't really want whatever it is you're selling Mm -hmm. they can still support at a one dollar level and that will help you with Kickstarter on their algorithm. Mm. So like I always tell people have a $1 reward level because you get their email after. And sometimes people want to support, but they don't want the thing and you should still allow them to do that. That's a great idea. Huh? I never even thought about that. Well, wow, that's, that's actually really cool. Now you've helped a bunch of other Kickstarter campaigns, right? Yeah. I, I coached people for a while and now I have a, like a, I basically created a course because people were like, okay, how do I do it? And that was after the first few. And then when I launched the self-journal, I was like, okay, I actually know what I'm doing because I hate when people do something once and they create a course. Mm-hmm. But the like the people I've coached have raised over like $2 million in funding, oh, like wow. way overfunded. I think more so than just getting the funding, it's just like getting the, the, the validation there. Yeah. Like how do you, if you, if you have a product, how do you know? Like like that, that adjustable rate hourglass. I remember yeah. seeing that. I was like, that's a really cool product. Do I want one? Will other people want one? And I guess like the market speaks for itself. Well, I mean, case. people wanted it, but it was it was technologically ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> no other word for it. It was also funny when we were creating it, and there was this. We had the one of our, our people that was no longer with us was helping with the design, and at one point, like added this really ugly thing to it mm-hmm. to like change the the intervals or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that can't be there. And he, and I was like, I know you're trying to save costs, but if this thing doesn't look sexy, nobody is going to want it because nobody needs an adjustable hourglass. Like nobody. It's not like, yeah. oh, I'm going to finally be able to tell the time. <laughs> it's like if it doesn't, it doesn't look sexy on your desk, nobody's buying it. So like that needs to be like number one. Like if Apple made an hourglass, you could adjust. That's what we're looking for. Um, so that's the most important thing. Oh, and it costs like $500. But it'd be an awesome hourglass. Yeah. yeah. Um, is Kickstarter still the best way to promote? Or like, I know there's like Indiegogo. And then uh, I guess for digital stuff, there's Product Hunt. But Product Hunt is more just about like free kind of things they're putting out. I don't know if there's yeah. like, th- does it work the same with Product Hunt or any of those other platforms? I don't know Product Hunt that well. I always just think about for like apps and tools like that. Mm-hmm. I have seen a couple of Kickstarters, but it doesn't seem like it's a big for that. And then Indiegogo, never use that. I think Kickstarter is more of the... It's the more popular platform for people, but mm-hmm. sometimes there's specific categories that people like supplements and things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can launch on Kickstarter. So you might go to Indiegogo for that. So it depends on what it is that you're launching. But if you can launch on Kickstarter, like category wise, mm-hmm. I always just tell people like do that because that's where there's more people. And Kickstarter has to be a physical product, right? It can't be digital. Um, unsure. Hmm. They might have changed stuff, but I think maybe you can have digital now. I, I think. Well, product product hunt. Uh, I enjoy browsing product hunt, but the problem is, um, it's just like popular things. So remember, like GPT three came out recently, yeah. And there's like every person's making like a little GPT three app or something like that, a little 
AI kind of mm -hmm. thing that you type in a word and it'll guess the next word or something. But the problem is then like five months later, you look at all those apps and they're kind of, they're either like down, they're yeah. not, their HTTPS isn't updated. And you like can tell like the developer like just like skipped out on it. I think the difference is with Kickstarter, people are actually plunking down real money. Mm -hmm. I think like uh, our buddy Pat Flynn, like he recently did one very successfully. I think that's like the most important thing. So uh, There's not many other ways besides Kickstarter yeah. to do that, right? Yeah, I think Kickstarter is the the best one. It's like and then the OG and, and the best. Yeah. Thing about Kickstarter is that they have so many organic people on there. Like I used to shop on Kickstarter. Like, <laughs> and and the great thing about it is you're, it's like a secret Santa to yourself because mm -hmm. you buy something that you like, and then two years later something comes to your door <laughs> and you're like, oh yes, and you completely forgot about it. So it's good in that sense, but. I think there's like stats on the Kickstarter website of how much like people come back two, three times. And so for each campaign that I ran, I think like between 30 and 38% of people were organic from Kickstarter. So the amount funded was not traffic driven by me, but it was like from the platform itself. That's awesome. Well, that's also important because I mean, your customers like your stuff. So you're like, okay, great. But then that's, it's almost like too easy. Yeah. It's like a comedian going into a room of people like he knows are going to laugh. So, um, is it possible to generate buzz for like blog posts, like videos, all that kind of stuff? Like, do, do you do that? Do you use like some sort of like techniques like you use in Kickstarter to generate blog posts for any content or not Sometimes really? I do for my personal stuff mm -hmm. rather than for best self, we have a, the community of people. So we kind of gauge like what people are talking about, what they'd like to hear about. And that's what drives some like videos or blog posts that we do. Mm -hmm. um, like one thing someone was talking about, which got a lot of comments in our community was um, like how to use the self journal for self care. And so that ended up becoming a whole topic. Um, mm -hmm. Like now we have a whole kind of like a guide on it. And so that started from a Facebook comment by someone that just got a lot of engagement. And we were like, okay, that's something that we should probably create some content around. Huh. Um, so speaking of writing, uh, you have a personal blog called Little Mite, which I thought was a funny name. Um, I'm assuming it's because you're little. Is that, yeah. is that, that like? <laughs> I always feel like I get underestimated and I kind of liked um, surpassing people's expectations. Oh, so that's why I was like where the name Little came Mite. From. Also, I, I didn't want to have like my, my, my name as my domain. And I don't know why. I think before it was like it's easier to have like an alter ego that you can talk about successful things with mm -hmm. rather than my own personal name. Mm -hmm. I feel like everyone goes through that conundrum with their blog. Should I name yeah. it myself or name it like- And my name, Catherine is spelled, like nobody really spells it that way. And mm -hmm. so I don't have to spell my name all, all the time. It's like little mite, you just know how to spell it. Yeah, that's hilarious. I didn't know that's so why I was called that. Um, why, why do you write articles and, and post videos and stuff online? Like what effect does it have for you? Is it fun for you or it's for your audience? It gets people to buy more. Like what's the, the reason? So I started the writing in probably in like 2013. Mm. And so I, I just like sharing what I was doing and what I knew. Um, because for me, like I didn't, growing up, like I went to architecture school and I had a very like normal like path. I had an eBay store when I was 14 and I sold stuff on the playground when I was seven, but I didn't actually know you could have a business as a job because I just didn't know anyone that did that. And so for me, I was like, if I had known that, that it was possible, I would have maybe done things a little differently. And so I kind of want people to see, oh, this person didn't go to business school or like was an architect and like 
took this path and like did all the things that you're supposed to do, but then completely took another path and then this is what came from it. So I think just sharing also the mistakes that I've made and like, here's how you do stuff. Like I love, actually I have some people that I went to high school with that we weren't really friends. We weren't not friends, but we weren't close. And mm-hmm. so sometimes they'll reach out to me <laughs> on Facebook and they'll just be like, oh, I started this like business thing. And, and I'm like, great. And I'm like super <laughs> excited because clearly like they don't have, there's just not a lot of role models as far as like that's your path. Mm-hmm. It's like you get a job. And when I quit my architecture job, it was like, oh my God, Catherine's going on midlife crisis. <laughs> and so I just kind of want to show people what's possible because, um, you know, if I didn't do this, I wouldn't have. Uh, created the jobs that I've done and I would still be, you know, slogging away, like working 80 hours a week and making like 40K a year. Hmm. That's pretty awesome. Um, have you made friends through your blog? Yeah. I've made th- friends through my blog and through Twitter. Hmm. So it's like, um, and it's funny the amount of people that will respond to emails. Like I, I just wrote a, a newsletter last week talking about like a business partner buyout and some of the issues that I was having and the amount of responses I got of like, cause I hadn't been writing much because there was so much that I couldn't really talk about. And so I wasn't doing it. Mm-hmm. And then all these people that I, some of them, I don't even know. One guy was like, said some like very true things. And I'm like, holy shit, like we don't even know each other. And you were able to like read through the, the stuff that I've been putting out for a, for a long time. So I have met people both through Twitter and through my blog. That's amazing. Uh, me and uh, our, our Actually, mutual friend, go ahead. Um, this girl, Elizabeth, she read some of my Kickstarter posts and then ended up launching a Kickstarter that I helped her with and or like coached her beginning with. And then she launched this um, company called uh, Little Nomad, which now is House of Noah. And she was on Shark Tank and, she, and we've met up like a bunch of times in real life. And now we're like actual friends. Mm-hmm. And that started from like, all she did was send me an email and say, oh, I applied exactly what you said and I got these results. And I was like, holy shit, tell me more about this. And so when someone does what you say and just tells you how it went, you're like, okay, how can I help you more? And so I love those type of emails of like just sharing what they've actually done that's worked rather than, okay, you know, how should I do this? Or they or they don't actually take the advice that you give them mm-hmm. and they keep asking more questions. Yeah. That's a, that's a, I think a lot of people now start a blog and they'll do how-to advice like right away. Mm. I'm just like, maybe just, I guess like Gary Vanderchuk always says, like just document your stuff. It's kind of more interesting. Well, that's what, that's what I do. Cause I also, I always just, when I first got into like entrepreneurship, it would kind of drive me mad. It was like coaching people, how to coach people, how to quit their job to coach mm. people, how to quit their job. <laughs> <laughs> so I will, I, so I had another Shopify store before. So all I would do is I would just be like, this is what I'm doing. This is how it works. And that I think that for me works um, better than pretending I know what I'm doing all the time. I think especially for someone beginning. Like yeah. I'll, I'll have a lot of people, uh, I want to write about writing also. And they'll be like, how to write.com or whatever. And I'm just like, but you don't know how to write. Like yeah. it's kind of just talk about yourself maybe. Um, I realize that with my own blog, I've met most of my close friends that way mm-hmm. uh, outside of like childhood friends and stuff like that. So like Noah, Sam, all these people, it's because of my blog originally. Yeah. Well, and, I, I know you through your blog. There you go. 
Yeah, it's like most of our friends, we all know each other through blogs, which yeah. is like kind of hilarious. It used to be almost kind of like a weird thing to say that 10 years ago. Now you're like, of course you met through your blogs. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. How else would you meet? Um, you've got a lot of other people to write because you have a journal. So you get other people to write. Um, I was, I'm always curious about this. Like what happens when you write something down? Like wh why is it better? I always wonder because sometimes I'll type notes mm -hmm. and but for some reason, the act of writing it in like a journal or a piece of paper, um, I always make to do lists that are physical. Yeah. There's something about it. Like, do you have any insight on like what happens? Well, I think there's been scientific studies about like the act of writing something rather than typing something is it's a lot more physical because you're literally like using the pen. You're like seeing it. You're, you're using all of your senses. Mm -hmm. And when it's a computer, there's like this kind of wall between you and so i always write things down and then i'll transfer it into um like notes mm -hmm. because i i used to take notes like on a computer mm -hmm. never look at them again yeah <laughs> whereas when you have to write something you're you're kind of reading as you write it and then you're physically writing it so there's just a lot more um like it's just like feels real unlike typing into a computer. Yeah, I think it just takes more time or something too. Yeah, I actually got a typewriter Bluetooth keyboard. <laughs> like uh, a yeah. like a mechanical one. I mean, and it's it's like annoying so I don't use it when Emily's home, but yeah. <laughs> if you put I like about what I like about it is it feels more like real than than a keyboard. And so sometimes when I'm writing and I and I also want to disconnect from like going on other apps, I'll literally like put my iPad and like just be typing on this um, typewriter. The typewriter, <laughs> it's yeah. like old school technology mixed with old. Yeah, new. it's like a Bluetooth typewriter. Yeah, because I, I use a lot of uh, note. I use all sorts of different note taking apps. I think they all have their own little pros and cons. So mm -hmm. like Apple Notes just is like great yeah. with all my Apple products, but then there's not too many features in it. Yeah. So then I also use Notion to like share stuff with the team. Then we have like Slack somewhere. Then I have tons of notebooks. Yeah. That I have, which are are like my prized possessions for some reason. And some people just love like writing in a notebook. So I guess that's how the journal stuff started. Like when you write something down, it becomes more real. Yeah. And just the act of like even on your calendar, like I, I see stuff on my calendar, but I still will put it into my journal mm -hmm. because when you see a white space in there or when you see it's easy for time to just like kind of slide by, especially on your calendar if it's only by appointment style. Mm -hmm. And so not by like showing you the whole day. And so when I put it into my actual um like self journal, there's like a physical representation of a time block that I could get something done, unlike uh, being on the computer. Huh. And uh, so last couple of questions. Um, what techniques tend to work the best for like pr promoting your products? Is, is it is it writing articles about them making videos? Um, the crowdfunding obviously works like social media podcasts. Like where do you see like the big spikes of sales? Like if you go on a podcast, does it sell a bunch or something like that? Um. For us, I think when we first launch products, because it's new, mm -hmm. or come out with a new version of a product, I think what's really important is making sure people know what success with the product looks like. Hmm. And so there's kind of like three parts of a product. It's like um, the initial like design look. That's great. It's like the aesthetic. And then there's that's like the form and there's the function. It's like, do people know how to use it? How easy is it? Like, what does success look like with this product? And then... The third part is like kind of this woo-woo idea of what does this product say about you and what does it make you feel and what's the story behind it? And so I think we took a lot, like I specifically took a lot of time like breaking down, okay, 
how do you know the design great and then how do we make sure what's the first 10 minutes of something have someone having the product look like uh how do we create as much support and community and like oh you're not opening this and feeling like a failure right away because you don't know what it, what it is that you're doing uh and so we i took a lot of time in creating that part and so some products are harder to start with than the others because the self-journal you have to come up with this goal and break it down the the prompt decks are pretty self-explanatory so like those are kind of lead-in products that people might buy now and then i look at it kind of like a like a leveling up over time when with the self-journal it's kind of a lot sometimes to get started with mm -hmm. so if you've never done any personal growth development goal setting we're, we're like here use this and it's just like oh my god i don't know how to I already you're already making people feel bad because they don't exactly know how to use it and so creating like a ladder system for products and then also like what's the problem that you're solving and so becoming a like a problem first company instead of a product first company and so mm. there's certain things where i'm like okay what problem is this solving and for a while like you know 2017 ish we want to come out with more products because we want to grow revenue and mm -hmm. so you just start creating like generic products that you know you want to drive revenue but are they solving a problem no and i think a lot of companies get in this like rat race of like oh we have to grow revenue and so you just start like putting your logo on dumb stuff yeah <laughs> and what i realized is like okay we have to become like problem first so what's the problem and is a product the best way to solve it and if the answer is no then we don't create a product for something that's not necessary or can it be digital or can we give it away for free just for a value add? So like not everything needs to be something that we sell. It could just be, how do we add value to people's lives? Like the the work from home summit that we did, we didn't, mm -hmm. pay, we didn't charge anything. We give everything away for free with the idea that, okay, people will think of us if they need a product again. And also the world's kind of like falling apart at that time. It just felt good to like, okay, how do we give back mm -hmm. without feeling like we're um, trying to benefit off of it? Huh. And do any of those, <laughs> I'm assuming a lot of those products fail. Like if you're just thinking like, what about this? What about that? What about oh, that? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Those were like tier C products. So there's like tier A, tier B, tier C. Tier C is like brand products. But if nobody knows who you are, mm -hmm. like don't do that. I always tell people if you're launching Kickstarter, don't have a, a t-shirt with your name on it because nobody knows who you are and they don't care. And your mom might buy it, but nobody else wants it. And you're just making your fulfillment process more complicated because maybe someone wants to support you for $15. They don't need your hat or your shirt. They just want to give you $15. But now you have to go out and create all these shirts and hats because you said you would have them and nobody actually wants them. Um, so those are like tier C, tier A are like, okay, what problem is this solving? And that's what people are going to come to you for. And that's what is going to bring in traffic. Like tier C products aren't bringing in traffic. They're just like nice to haves that you can add on. And then tier B support tier A products. Hmm. Um, and then uh, last questions are about uh, partnerships. So you obviously, like, I guess, publicly kind of ended a partnership yeah. inside inside the company. Um, should you start a business with a partner or no? God, no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a little bitter at this moment, but um, <laughs> I don't believe in 50-50 partnerships, which oh. is what uh, we were in. Um, I think a lot of people, when they start a business, and I had something before, and so the idea of, like, not doing it alone was appealing. And also, I think a lot of people partner out of insecurity, which is definitely what I did. And so, mm. you know, at the start, and then 50-50, I, 
you're basically like hamstrung on big decisions and you have to always agree and so I just think like nothing is ever 50-50 someone's putting in more work and more effort and more time and it's easy at the start to just say okay let's split it down the middle but it's actually I think kind of a lazy way to do it and it's actually just avoiding a tough conversation that will be had later and it'll just be much harder hmm this is, this is a weird, tricky subject. I've gone back and forth about it because most of my business has just been me. Mm-hmm. And then I'm almost a little bit jealous whenever I see someone like in a partnership and they, they work well together. Like I'm, I'm thinking of just like, you know, the success stories of them yeah. where it's just like, oh, one person's more like a developer person. One person more of a business minded, more yeah. fun person. Um, I'm most sometimes jealous that they have that, that other person to push constantly. But then you also see it like fail spectacularly quite a bit. Yeah. So I've had a couple of the cases I've seen recently of this. And it seems like kind of risky to start a company with someone. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that I didn't know I didn't know at the time. So there's a lot of things you could put into like finding the right person. So like business partnerships can be like a marriage, Mm -hmm. um, except in a marriage, usually date for a while, see if they're a good fit. With business partnerships, it's often like you meet them and then not that long later, it's like it's like going to Vegas you know, with someone that you've known for a month, getting married and then expecting everything to work out. And then what well, I really- It can, but it, it might not. It can, but chances are it probably won't. Yeah. <laughs> chances are you might Britney Spears it and one null it, you know, a day later <laughs> if you're lucky. But uh, for me, it was five years. Oh, wow. Okay. That's that's really interesting. Kind of makes me happy that uh, I start most of my projects alone. Yeah. Yeah. And then bring on people later to help, but like maybe not share equity right away. Which, uh, random side note, it's kind of funny when people want equity in a company. It's just like, you're most likely not going to make any money from it. Yeah. Like, you only hear about, like, Facebook or something, like, going public and people making a lot of money. For the overwhelmingly most part of the people I know that with equity in a company, it seems like they don't they, they don't get anything ever. Well, yeah, because, well, it depends what the goal is. Is the goal to, like, build for an exit? Or is the goal to build and hold forever? Because if you're never selling, then equity doesn't even make sense. It's better to, like, do a profit share where you don't have to give up equity you're not going to sell anyway, so it doesn't matter. And they still get something for being there and for putting the work in. Nice. Well, this is a great conversation. Thank you, Catherine. Where can people find your stuff and buy your stuff? What are the most popular sellers? All that kind uh, of stuff. Bestself.co. Mm-hmm. Um, self-journal that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, intimacy deck. Deeper talk. So The intimacy deck's like the cards that you pull out and yeah. ask like a hard question to like a partner. Yeah, that's our top seller people like love it and it's great because you can have these really deep conversations but you don't have to be vulnerable in that you're asking the question it's like oh this is the card it's not me I, i'm not asking when the last time you cried was the card what the card is oh and God. so it takes a lot of like the the on- onus off of you but then at the same time like getting deeper in your relationship has that has that part because i remember you gave me a sample of it now i was just like damn these are some deep questions has that um brought people together or broken them up oh we've gotten so many people that have it's brought them together like we've had reviews literally been like we were on the verge of divorce um and because because oftentimes we in relationships you just drift apart over time Mm -hmm. and you don't know how to you don't want to be the one to to be like oh can we sit down and have this conversation? And the the idea of buying this, you know, $25 product, being like, oh, I bought this for us. It's like, it's almost like a gift that 
keeps giving because you buy it, which shows the other person that you want to put some time into the relationship. And then it's not like you will go through them all on one night. It will be like months of you like talking to each other and actually breaking down the ice and then getting closer, which makes everything else in the relationship much easier to talk about if you're, you know, doing these questions together. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty heavy product. Yeah. I don't know it's heavy. It's like it's interesting. It's a it's like a like the Trojan horse, like where you put it in and it seems easy, but it actually is like much deeper than you expect when you first buy it. Sorry to ask you on the spot because I didn't tell you, but like, did you uh, did what are some of your top questions like in there? Oh. Some like cool ones you like. Um. So we worked with like a relationship coach. So some of us like, you know, uh, what were your first impressions of me or oh. um, what what are the three things that you love most about me? Um, when was the time you were disappointed by something that I did? So there's mm. things from like the beginning of the relationship when it's like easy and it's like a lighter way to start. And then there's things like that ease into, okay, what are your what are your hopes for us? What are ways that I've disappointed you that I cannot make sure I don't do again? And so it, it like opens up conversations around that. Does it lead to fights? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> you probably caught a, caused a lot of weddings and divorces. There's been a couple of questions that we've re-edited like well like i don't think this is important so let's change that question huh well if it's broken up a relationship maybe it's just a bad relationship and they got out early well no it wasn't it was specifically like just a few comments around a certain question that i was like yeah i don't i don't know that this is like super beneficial so we can change this this one but that's only happened like once or twice you sell planners yeah we have a uh the self planner which is the six month version of the self journals. The self journal is based around three months framework goal. And it's very um, like people love it. The self planner is like, okay, I don't have a goal, but I want, I know I want to make my life better and I want to focus on certain areas and this will help you do that. Have you seen uh, sales increase or decrease during the whole crazy stuff in the world right now? We, well, once we had product, they increased. Um, and it's been like over time, getting better as our inventory is eased up a little bit. We had a lot of problems with supply. It was like all the shipping stuff and everything. Yeah. And, it, and still it's just, you know, with so much stuff needing to be shipped and, and now there's less supply for like trucks and boats and they're putting medical supplies in there first. So there's less availability. And so everyone's trying to get in, Yeah, especially with Q4 coming up that it just, it was kind of a, it's like, you don't Shackles. need those masks. Put uh, put these yeah. intimacy ducks on the boat instead. <laughs> yeah. You can't be intimate through masks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Catherine, so much for joining us. You can check uh, Catherine's stuff out at bestself.co and littlemike.com, your yeah. personal site. I liked your Turo uh, video. That was my favorite. Oh, awesome. About why you shouldn't rent on Turo or something like that. Yeah, why I will only do it once. And I did only do it once. And that video did really well, right? Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. It's just like random stuff like that. Well, you know, funny story that someone read my blog and then these guys, uh, Creator House, they're called, and they were like, hey, can can we come to Austin and do a video for you? And I was like, sure, internet strangers. I don't know uh -huh. how this could go wrong, but they're <laughs> awesome. So worked out. Huh. Well, man, starting blogs has brought us a lot. Yeah. Including this. Well, thanks, blogs, for, <laughs> for everything. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks. Bye.